0: I think we've had a whole you know, trend towards spoon-feeding kids and helicopter parenting, but I think if we can start to try to move away from that and show them that they have a lot more choice.
1: You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 377. Today, we're talking about how to unlock your kids' motivation with Sharath Jivan. kids. Hey, welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. So glad you're here today. It's going to be a powerful episode, but listen, if you haven't done so yet, please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you've ever gotten anything from this podcast, please do me a favor, go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. We are All our growth is organic and it helps the podcast grow more. It takes 30 seconds and I greatly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. And in just a moment, I am going to be sitting down with Sharath Jeevan. Sharath is one of the world's leading experts on reigniting our inner drive, intrinsic motivation. And he has a groundbreaking book, Intrinsic. It's received glowing endorsements from incredible education leaders, even the Prime Minister of Greece. He was awarded the OBE, which is the Queen's Honor in England, and his work has been appeared in the New York Times, The Economist, etc. And we're going to talk about how do we motivate our kids to do well? How do we motivate them to do well in school and in life? And we're going to talk about what are the things that we do that kill motivation, and how can we help our kids be passionate contributors instead? So join me at the table as I talk to Sharath Jivan. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. So I'm excited to talk to you. And dear listener, I've already talked to Sharath because he and I are fellow speakers at a big Global Parenting Conference that in Abu Dhabi this uh, November 2022. So we're going to be hanging out in person and talking. But we've already talked, and I'm and I'm so excited to share with you his work. I want to start Sharath with like your. Story. I know that you're a child of immigrants. You grew up in the UK, and you have become an expert in motivation. What has led you to this this uh, this fascination with how we are motivated?
0: Yeah. So, uh, as you mentioned, uh, I'm an immigrant to the UK. I'm originally from India. I was born there, but came to the UK very very early in life. And and I think you know, as as you know, many immigrant families have, there was a strong kind of achievement drive right through my my childhood. Um, I had lots of good things to do um, that were associated with that, but also I think a lot of challenges as well about um, how we looked at the world and and how you sort of see the world. And I think very much a sort of straight line view of the world where, um, you know, the the goal was to get a good education, that would get you to a good college, that would get you to a good job, that would get into you to a nice house and a, a nice car and a very uh, up and up you go that was kind of the mental model that I was exposed to growing up I think you know I'm now 40 45 and turning 46 soon and what the one thing I'm, I'm really clear having lived this long and, and worked this long is that that straight line just doesn't exist anymore and what I'm really really passionate about is that how do we convey that to our kids in a way that isn't scary um, there's yeah, something you know yeah. deeply reassuring about that straight line right because you you know you imagine mm-hmm. if you get on the right uh, on that line you're you're set for life um how do we do it in a way that really helps kids our kids really embrace the what I call the zigzag of life even, even revel in that zigzag and embrace it and that's all to do with the source of our motivation if we live our life and chase external or in my language extrinsic rewards things like the fancy job or the getting into a top college or getting a perfect grades or Playing on, on this sports team or another one, um, we're basically driving our lives um, entirely driven by the outside. And we're making our, mm-hmm. our fulfillment, happiness, and success conditional on a set of things we don't deeply control, right? In a way that we're relying on the external world. What my work focuses on how do we move inside when it comes to our motivation? How do we um, harness our internal or intrinsic motivation so that? Um, no matter what happens as an outcome, we're really committed to go down the path we want because we deeply believe in that path and find it fulfilling and satisfying in its own right. And I'm really interested in the, in the relationship both for our children, but also what we need to do as parents in terms of role modeling things differently to help them understand that that shift in thinking. Hope that makes sense. So,
1: yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. And I, and I think you're right that that is scary this idea that that we don't there isn't a clear-cut path anymore that you know I mean and we've been learning that again and again, you know college doesn't doesn't necessarily like the weight of the debt of that, you know doesn't necessarily pay off into the the big job and there's this gig economy now and things are really changing a lot and it is I think it is scary for parents and but at the same time, I mean so are you saying, are you saying, you know, that kids should just like follow their bliss, should just do what they love, like that kind of thing? Or, because I'm just wondering, like, is that what you're associating with that intrinsic motivation, following that that thing that in, in intrinsically motivates you?
0: Yeah, so I think there's been this whole kind of question about follow your passion, right? And in mm-hmm. the states, um, writers like Scott Galloway, Adam Grant, and so have been very dismissive of some of this stuff, and. I don't think it's about following your passion, right? I think that sort of stuff can be very indulgent. Look, many of us would want to be, you know, I'm a a keen tennis player. Uh, I would love to be a professional tennis player. That's not going to happen, right? Anytime. Mm -hmm. soon. the chances of that are so so low. I love, um, you know, I might love playing the saxophone. Will I be a professional, you know, saxophonist or playing a band or being a music star? That's usually unlikely, right? So I think this follow the passion sort of angle can also be a big distraction. What I like to, you know, I I like to think about these three drivers, these three pillars of intrinsic motivation around purpose, autonomy, and mastery. I'll talk about each one, but I think the big thing for young people and and children to think about is how do you follow your purpose? And by that, I define purpose, you know, in in the book and in my work as how what we do helps and serves others. And Mm -hmm. I think if young people have that sense of purpose in what they do, they will get attracted to really deep problems they see out there in the world. And they'll be really interested in solving those problems. So let me just give you an example of that. So, you know, many, it's, I just gave a talk to my, uh, my book, my uh, kid's school and to their class, they're 11, uh, my son and, and his class. And I was asking, what do you guys want to do? And I, I was really quite shocked. Like many of them said, I want to be investment bankers, uh, many said I want to take over the family business, etc these were 11 year old kids right and even at that age there's such <laughs> strong material um, drives and I'm not saying that you know we all want to live a comfortable life. There's nothing wrong with that of course but I would love them to said look I'm I'm really interested in what's happening in the world I want to see if I can help you know develop new you know new medicines for example or I'm really interested in in climate and I obviously worried about climate change I'd love to contribute to that in some way. So if we can kind of think about the, the challenges we're facing more broadly and sort of nest our purpose in, in some of those things, we become a lot less self-conscious and we become mm-hmm. a lot more open because you, you we sort of allow ourselves to get lost by that problem. And there could be a million, you know, zillions of ways we contribute to that, right? So, you know, if you're interested in climate change and, and stopping it, you could do that as a as an activist, you could do that as an as a scientist, you could do it as a venture capitalist, whatever. There's so many ways in. But that's the problem you deeply care about. And that keeps you going, keeps you interested. And in that sense of helping others through your work. I'm talking about careers here and specifically, that can be a really powerful intrinsic motivator, that's the idea of purpose. So it's not kind of indulgent, go off and do some you know, wacky thing because you can afford to. That's also very dangerous. But it's really trying to find a, a compass, a direction that links to how, you know, we, we want to help and
1: serve others. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. I mean, I couldn't agree more with this idea that if you're following a purpose, if you're doing, if you have a purpose that is contributing to the greater good of the the planet, the society, things like that, it makes you less, less self-conscious. I mean, I could say that completely with the work that I do, you know, to write about all my failings as a parent, it wasn't, but it's, it's about something that's larger than me, right? The purpose is something that's larger than me. And it's, that's something that is intrinsically motivating for me to, to, you know, sit down and, and write or do the different things I'm doing every every day to to keep that. I mean, that purpose really, really does matter, I think. And so that's interesting. So does, I'm trying to imagine, like, would that lead to a different conversation with our kids about our, you know, our values? And I'm trying to think of, like, how I might Talk to that. You know, you know, we have these conversations with our kids that are like, "Well, what do you, what do you think you might want to do when you grow up?" Um, Maybe you can give us a little direction and how to maybe have some of those conversations with weaving this idea of looking at a greater purpose in mind.
0: Yeah. So, Andrew, one one um, I don't know. Goal of this podcast might be to put that you know scrap that question to the dustbin of history, right? So, think about the question: (laughs) What what do you want to do when you grow up? Uh, what a ridiculous question to ask nowadays. Um, we still ask it, unfortunately, too many times. But this is my fifth career. Right? I went to some of the best um, colleges in the world. I went to Oxford. I went to Cambridge University, etc. That didn't mean that I had some, you know, um, gilded route through life. I, I did some time in consulting. I ran a startup. I worked to the NGO sector. Um, and I spent the last 15 years as a social entrepreneur, looking at really deep questions around education. That was where the 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 sort of area that I, I really got excited by about that question of purpose, um, and so instead I'd, I'd ask kids, what 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 really interests you in the world? What do you feel passionate about? And from then they can weave many different careers through that that piece. And the way I'd often think about this is a bit of a, a technical word, but let me use it anyway. I think if as parents we can talk about this idea of wicked problems rather than kind problems. Let me just give an mm. example of that. So look at uh-huh. our you know how these last uh, two and a half years have rolled out with a pandemic, the science of, of of everything around, you know, how we get the vaccines and so on, that's been relatively straightforward. That's the kind part, right? There is a stable technical solution to the pandemic, but the wicked side, which is about the human element of it, right? It's much, how do we organize ourselves? How, what, do, what, what are the trade-offs in, in having lockdowns? How do we regulate travel, for example, within a country or outside a country? How much are we willing to risk freedom versus, you know, um, our right to, to, to good health. All of these questions we, we've made in most countries, and I'd say the UK is a good example, a real mess of many of these questions. Yes. Yeah. So I think if we can really get kids to think more deeply about some of these really key human problems out there, what are they excited about? And, and they can find something they really enjoy. I think if they get immersed into that problem, they can read about it. Maybe they can read about The Economist if they're a little bit older or... Um, you know, watch some, some document, whatever it might be, or talk to people working in these Kyrgyzstat areas. Kyrgyzstat
1: videos. My, yeah. uh, my daughters are obsessed with Kyrgyzstat videos. Amazing, amazing. Okay. Which are, I, uh, if you haven't seen a Kyrgyzstat video, dear listener, go on YouTube and look up, and I have no idea, I'm sorry, how to spell Kyrgyzstat, but check it out. Uh, I'm check sorry, it out, uh, I totally yeah, interrupted. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to
0: check it out myself, Andrea, haven't I haven't So that's a really okay, great good. tip as well. Yeah, but explain <laughs> what's going on in the world as well, and Helping them think about their role in a broader sense. I think, you know, a lot of employers. I work with some of the largest employers in in, in the world right now as sort of um, clients. Of my work and there's all these questions about, you know, are, are we when people young know, people come into the workplace, are they equipped? Those questions are almost never about technical skills. This is probably the most educated generation we've ever ever had, which is great, but it's about the kind of mental models and commitment that sometimes you know there's a perception young people may not always have. A lot of it, I think, is that they're holding back, and they're almost—they can almost feel it. It can be almost feel scary to put yourself out there, to take a risk, to really put everything on the line, in in in, in a role, in a job, and so on as well. And I think there's almost that sense of self consciousness I sometimes find in in young entrants to the workforce nowadays. If they can almost abandon that, forget about themselves, think about the problem at hand, and just do what's needed to to make a contribution to that problem, all of this stuff about job promotions, job titles, all that stuff gets thrown out the window. They'll just make a real impact in their work. They'll get recognized as a result, and and, and that will lead to promotions. Ironically, this is a great way to get promoted, but it's not by targeting those things. It's by getting lost in a broader, broader problem. So I think, you know, in short, let's, mm. let's, let's scrap this question of, what do you want to be? What job do you want to do? That's a redundant question. I think the question of what problem do you want to contribute
1: to—that's mm.
0: a much po- more powerful question we can ask our kids.
1: So we want to think about what problem can you contribute to and how can we, how, how can we start these conversations? How do you start these conversations with your 11 year old without the going back to that fear factor, right? Without the fear of all the problems in the world and becoming overwhelmed and subsumed by all the problems of the world, right? I, I mean, I, of course, it's a matter of talking about things in a developmentally appropriate manner with kids and not overwhelming them. But I mean, I'm I'm imagining you're going to say, follow their curiosity. I mean, but how do you do it with your child?
0: Yes, I think one of the, you, you said something very powerful, Hunter, about this idea of toxic individuality, right? And I think that has been how we've lived. And let's face it, that's how our generation has led the world, right? And that's what's caused many of the problems, whether you look at inequality to climate change it's been or black lives matter anything we look at it's it's that consequence of that and i think what i hear talking to a lot of young people is they really want a different way of leading and being in the world and there's a kind of rejection of what happened in the past so i think let's embrace that and say look and, and say is that also we, we messed things up and I, i'm willing to i tell my kids that like myself my generation we haven't done a great job right in um in, in where the world is right now, and, and we should feel responsible for that. We can't just continue, you know, our mental models and our assumptions. We've got to rethink them. And I think a lot of young people would would really embrace that from what I've seen. They want a different way of thinking about it. So that, that will hopefully reassure them. And I think the sense also that, you know, um, I talk a lot about autonomy and in a second pillar of motivation, that sense of, of being at the wheel, being able to really have real agency and what to make an impact and so on. And I think often young people feel quite powerless right now. As you said, these problems are so big that they almost feel like lost in them in that way, or they feel sort of dwarfed mm-hmm. by the problems. It's really helping them see, well, yeah, this is the climate change is an enormous problem, but you can make a real difference through a very tangible way. If you work in a company and you, um, you know, help them with their sustainability, for example, or, or part of a committee, whatever it might, you can make a really tangible difference in the world as well. So it's this kind of balance between helping them see the enormity of the problem and being curious by that. So I think that curiosity is very important, but also making it um, really clear that we can do this one step at a time as well, that every contribution matters. It matters because it will make a small dent in the problem and those will add up over time, but also it will keep us motivated because we, we have a sense of purpose. And so a lot of the mm. things we can do about that is to help our kids Start to exercise their autonomy, and so small things. So, for example, when it comes to if they're in school, for example, are they choosing courses they really enjoy? Are you, you know, are you sort of um, you know, what's what coercing or nudging them towards courses that you think are more practical? For example, they're easy to get a job in. Again, there's a level of that that is useful, but actually, it's much more important they they feel that they're doing things that they really want to do. Because if they do, they'll, they'll really throw themselves into that. They'll have that sense of flow that we talk a lot about, that, that sense of being lost in time, that really be deeply engage in something. And they'll start to believe, believe and feel that they can make a difference in their own world. Now, I think we've had a whole you know trend towards spoon-feeding kids and helicopter parenting and all the things you talk about how in the podcast. But I think if we can start to try to um, move away from that and show them that they have a lot more choice over everything in their lives and that they may think. Everything from, you know, when you go to a supermarket, give them a shopping list and say, this is what we need, please go and choose the things that we think we should We should look at. once you look at the labels and see which uh, products are more environmentally sustainable, to take that example. Small things, again,
1: mm.
0: we can really mm. feed that culture of ownership and accountability in, in big and small ways.
1: And that, Yeah, and that requires responsibility, that requires a level of trust, like giving our kids some autonomy, um, allowing them to make some of their own choices. I love that idea of, um, that example of the supermarket, because that's such a simple example of autonomy and responsibility, you know, where we can, we can be in relationship with rather than sort of power over and, and, and let them, you know, and, and they'll make mistakes and that's okay. <laughs> let them do it when the stakes are small, like in this, in the supermarket or whatever, but let's, I love that idea, but let so let's take this and shift this towards school, towards education. You've done so much work with education and, and helping, you know, initiatives all around the world. I, I, what, talk to us a little bit about the role of intrinsic versus and extrinsic motivation in education? Because what I see in most traditional education in the United States is that there's a lot of extrinsic motivation. even you know in my kids' Montessori schools, you know they're 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 putting they're building up stars in the bucket for a pizza party if they all have like good behavior, that kind of thing, grades, things like that. What are we do? What is going right, and what is not going so well in education, as far as motivation goes?
0: Yeah, my kids own school. I think we use that. They use that far too much um, um, as well. Those kind of extrinsic or external motivators, um, Hunter, as you were saying. So, again, things like stars, badges, grades, all that stuff. If if kids are doing something because they're they're basically conditioned to please others, right? That's how the education system. Is sort of configured right now. So all of this stuff is about pleasing other people, showing to other people that you're um you're good enough. And and essentially there's there's a deep comparison culture built into all of this as well. Everyone is graded against the curve or you're compared how many badges you got versus someone else. And it's the exact opposite of the culture we need to succeed. That might have worked in a kind of taterist world where we were in factories and and so but in the UK for example there are forecasts that within half a within a decade, half of all jobs will be freelance jobs. Right, even for knowledge workers, right? So forget the gig economy, even mm-hmm. highly educated college workers, they'll be working for themselves, having small practices or expertise areas, working with larger organizations. Who's going to give you a badge, right? Or a star or any of that stuff. It, it, you, know, you have to drive yourself and you have to find ways to keep going because you generally want to. So these are huge distractions. We can use them sometimes to... Just get a kid initially interested. So, for example, if a kid is really struggling to read, yeah, maybe you, you give them a nice certificate after the first book after they've told you a few things about it. But once they get into the habit of reading, to use that example, we want to try and take those things away, and then think, ask some questions about what did you learn about that book? What did you really enjoy? What could other books be in the same library or bookshelf that would help you go deeper? You know, back to that follow the curiosity type piece as well. So. You know, the whole education system right now in, in most countries, I think, is not helping us. It's actually hindering us. And I'd love to see parents talk to educators much more about that and explain why that's the case. Right now, we're in such big silos, right, that we're parents are in one group, teachers are in one group, employers who are obviously the people who are going to you know, work with our young people in the long term. They're another group as well. They're not talking to each other. And I think if we had that conversation about what, what does success really look like in the long term? What do our young people need to, to be able to do the way that work and life is evolving? It's not what we're doing in our schools right now.
1: So if a parent is listening to this and is saying, oh, my gosh, you know, in my kid's kindergarten, they're getting, you know, they're getting a ton of homework, they're they're getting, you know, they're getting all the grades and in first grade and things like that, and they're seeing this happen for their child, and they may be worried about it. Do you have any ideas for what a parent can do in a situation like that, um, to help their child kind of not lose because that extrinsic, some of those extrinsic motivators can really kill that, that, that sort of spark of curiosity. Right. I mean, I remember being that kid in, you know, that, that smart kid who hated school because I would like, you know, we were all doing X, you know, all doing the multiplication worksheets all at the same time. And I was bored out, bored to tears, but what can a parent do if it, if they're seeing this this heavy, all, this heavy extrinsic motivation stuff and and seeing maybe some of the effects on their child?
0: Yeah, so I think a lot of it, I remember just as a real example, I, I, I you know I was scarred for maths for life um, because my mum for her maths was very important uh, with science and so on. You know, typical Indian parent thing. And I remember getting into the, we were like put into sets like streams in in class in in the UK and. I got in the second math stream and I remember like how upset and angry she was and for me it was just like once I had that reaction I realized that yeah I felt very bad about it had a very negative association with math and it took me years to recover from that right overall whereas I think what we need to do is not think about the comparison stuff or the <clears throat> the rewards but focus on this idea of mastery which is a third pillar of, of motivation mastery is being the best version of ourselves we can be it's like being a a better and better driver on a bumpy road, that we become every day a bit better about that. If we can focus our kids' um, foc- um, attention on, on that journey of mastery, that's one of the most powerful and enduring motivators for them overall in a school experience. So if they're able to read, for example, two more um, difficult words that day, it doesn't matter if you know another kid in the same class can read 20, that's irrelevant. They read two more let's mark and celebrate that and use that to build confidence they want to read even more. So we know that what deeply motivates us is every day seeing that little bit of extra difference, a little bit further we can go that adds up that those sort of small kind of yards add up to many miles over time as well. And I think the other thing we can um, sort of do around that is role model that ourselves. So you know there's such a fear of failure back to my maths example, right The problem was not that, I was put in the math set, the second second group. Is that I then was badged as being not so great or not the best at maths, right? And that that becomes part of identity. I think what we need to show kids is that we're all learning all the time. I'm in the middle of a career change, um, becoming an author, as you mentioned, becoming an expert in this area. And there's so many things that went wrong along that career change, right? So at the dinner table, I try and talk to my kids about what went, what didn't go so well. I applied for a very prestigious fellowship in the U.S. A a year ago, I didn't get it. Um, I told them about that. And, yeah, I was a bit sad at the time. They were very excited to come and spend some time there. Um, I just became a a visiting fellow at Oxford to teach a course. And I told them about a year later. And so what they can see is, look, it didn't happen the first time. Did I give up? No. Mm -hmm. I I still really enjoyed what I do. I believed in it. I kept developing. Maybe I wasn't ready for that fellowship a year before. But you've got to a point where you've grown and improved and developed later on, for example. So that idea of of that being on the journey, it's not the destination, it's it's that journey of improvement. I think we really focus our attention on that. That's the most powerful thing we can do, I think.
1: Having learned what I've learned about motivation over the years, I, you know, I was part of a, uh, a, a founding member of a public charter Montessori school here in Delaware, and they went there and they didn't get any grades until seventh grade. And my daughter, my oldest daughter now, is in high school, and she she gets her grades and there's a whole online portal thing, but but honestly, I haven't ever looked at that portal. You know, she has to come and say, "Give me," you know, she. I I would miss what grades she has if she doesn't like, you know, she wants me to know, you know, she wants to tell me and and share her progress. I personally don't put a lot of emphasis on grades at all. And, and that, you know, she's anyway, for this kid it's working amazingly. Like she is so super motivated to do her best and, you know, it's all her own thing. It's not, you know, it's not about her parents. It's all about her. And she's just driving forward. So it's I, so a one tiny, small example, right, in, the, in a bucket. But in that bigger picture of motivation, do grades matter?
0: So I think the grade itself doesn't matter, Hunter. I think it's really more about a source of feedback. And again, I to that idea of mastery, what grades should do at their best. I think they've got all kinds of d- distorting effects, they should be helping us understand what's going well and where we need to do, to grow and develop and that's the idea of any feedback mechanism but let me give you an example of, of how this you know misfires in corporate life right so i've worked for some fairly big u.s companies one of them was ebay they had the system where you know every quarter it was too often but every quarter um you'd got you'd get a you do a performance appraisal so you talk about what's gone well what things you want to develop there was beautiful you know A beautiful form you filled in and really helped you reflect, quite deep questions it asked you, and you had to grade yourself out of five. Then you gave it to your manager, and the manager had to give you a grade. And what was so ridiculous about this whole system is that, I think eBay is not, not unusual in this, right, is that all of the development intent that was there about what can I really do better, how can I grow, got lost by the discussion about the number. And I think there was like a two or three percent difference in in your bonus depending on what grade you got, but the amount of emotional energy and noise it created, it meant we weren't focusing on becoming a better professional. And that's the, the mm-hmm. you know if you think about it in a school setting, that's the problem with grades. They're not bad in themselves, but they're they're a huge distraction sometimes for the core journey of mastery. So a couple of ideas. I think one thing I'd say is that um, you know a lot of schools, my my kid's school actually now does it. They, they give effort grades as well as attainment grades, right? So that's really important. Mm. What you really care about is is the child throwing everything at this. Are they engaged? There's a lot of evidence I talk about it, Intrinsic that engagement is the key vehicle now in school and in life. If we're deeply engaged, we will be successful the long term. So is the child engaged? Are they curious? Are they working hard? Are, are they improving? So it's less about the absolute grade, whether it's an A or B or whatever. It's did that, you know did it improve over the last three months what bits have improved if we can really focus on that aspect then then grades can be quite a useful vehicle but it's just that often that you know because it's a it becomes a label and that destroys mm-hmm. all the value of the feedback that's contained within the grade itself
1: mm. i mean i guess this kind of talks to how we can shape our conversation about our grades with our kids you know where we need to explain those things that that this this is just feedback, and we need to say you know verbalize these things that uh, Sharath just said that that this is about you know what really matters is how engaged you are. What really matters is if you're improving, and to let our kids know that that's what we value as parents. That's what we're looking for is that are they improving? Are they are they engaged? You know. Are, that, that to tell our kids straight out that that matters more than their grade to us. Definitely. Would you I say think,
0: so? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I think if we can, again, I think kids, it's so much more important what we do compared to what we say. So I think mm-hmm. role modeling, and I talk a lot about this in Intrinsic, that it's really important we role model on ourselves, right? So if, for example, you go um, you go home at the dinner table and brag about a new job title, Now, I'm not saying that that could be a very important achievement that you could say it in one way, which is about I got the title, that's what really mattered. Or you can say, I'm really proud I got this promotion or this new title, because I made a real impact on this person or this client or this organization, I helped them have a better organization, I helped their team develop better, whatever the context you work in is, if it's framed in that way, that going back to purpose, we, we really made a difference. And that's what excites us. And the promotion is almost like a validation of that impact, right? It's the classic kind of horse and cart, which one comes first. So I think if we can role model that ourselves and our discussion of our own lives, what matters, that's really important. So let me just give you a real example. I mean, we have this crazy system in the UK where kids apply for, we are going to a certain part of the school, so they don't have to apply for secondary school. And there's an exam and it's pretty competitive to get into the you know the most desirable schools and so on. My son got in uh, to the school he wanted to. I was really pleased with that. But I was very honest with saying, actually, more than whether you got into that school or not, that was less of a concern. I was really um, delighted about how you took this on. You were really self-driven. You worked hard yourself. You didn't need to chase, you know, me to chase you. You, you know, allocated uh, uh, an hour and a half a day. We talked about eating the frog early, so you'd go and sort of, you know, do that first and then have a, a nice day after that you really w- wanted to go to a certain school and you really worked hard to get there, the how of how you know his journey was much more important than the destination. Mm. You know, if it wasn't that mm-hmm. school, there'd be also another good school out there. So I think the way we frame and tell that story matters in how mm. we, we do that with our children. Unfortunately, the school system is, is, is slow in most countries to, to change. Though I think, again, if we can mm-hmm. play that kind of explainer role well and frame this really well for kids... They will respond, I think, pretty positively.
1: In here locally, I just discovered the other day that um, a Sudbury school has opened in my in my town, and I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a totally self-directed school. It's kind of like a, a, a it's kind of like homeschooling, unschooling, but in a place together, right, where they're all doing self-directed motivation. How does that fit into the sort of motivation picture and this educational picture?
0: So, I think there are some great models, and Sudbury's are really um, another example, um Hunter, As you said, the challenge is think we, we live in the real world, right? And at some mm-hmm. point, our kids are going to have to to deal with the real world out there. So, they may go from Sudbury to, I don't know, Harvard, for example, and that's not going to be in the environment, right? It's, it, they may be in a very competitive environment where everyone is trying to compete for the best grades, they want to get into some. Job. So I think if we have that um, oasis available, like, so, so great, let's use that. But I, I, don't, I don't think it matters what school our kids are in. We can still play the same role. And I think in some mm. ways it's even more powerful to be in a more mainstream system, but help kids see things differently because that's how life is going to be, right? Mm. There'll be in companies where mm. many employees do have this attitude that's all about getting promoted to the next level. Everything is about the next pay jump. Rather than having deep impact and making a difference to others in their work, if that's the case in a culture, how do our kids learn to sort of exist in those cultures but not not accept them? To say that actually I'm going to take mm. a different dial here and, and actually ultimately this will probably need me to be happier for sure, more motivated and, made, and most likely more successful over the long term.
1: So if our what if we see our kids have become <clears throat> demotivated, they maybe they've lost their, you know, maybe as a child they had this intrinsic motivation to, you know, create uh, I don't know to play archery and create create mad videos and do all these different things and as you know, they've they've spent more time on TikTok and they're growing up and th- that kind of thing, we might see a l we might be worried about their their inner spark, that inner motivation for mastery and autonomy kind of you know, dulling. How can we reignite that in our kids?
0: So I think a key thing is sort of sometimes let time um kids are ready to learn when they're ready to learn I think that's what I'm learning more and more so hmm. so I know I'm a I'm a big tennis fan myself uh, my, my son my older one was really intense he played at fa- fairly high level as a, as a young kid and suddenly he got into cricket right and he just wanted to abandon all the tennis um altogether and I was quite one level I was quite upset because we would spend quite a lot of time I was faring into tennis matches or you know practice sessions and and also, you know, honestly, I'd spent quite a bit of money on on coaching, right, for him over that period as well. And think, God, there's that kind of sunk cost, sort of as economists call it, thing where you, I've already sunk so much into this. You know, how can yeah. we, stop we stop? So I, I, I caught myself. So look, what really matters is whether he's engaged. I don't want him to do tennis because of an obligation, and certainly not because he thinks I like I like the sport. Therefore, he should like it. So I said, okay, fine, let's, let's, let's leave it. And all we did was play tennis every few months. You know, just one to one between us occasionally. We were just on holiday uh, over, over the summer. He read a, a biography of Roger Federer um, that was lying on the a bookshelf, and I don't know what happened. It energised him, um, and he read a couple more tennis books over the, that summer. Now he's gone back to to playing a couple of times a week, back to a, a local squad. So our kids will find that drive, you know, when it's ready. So I think a lot of it's just trusting that they'll they'll find it at the right time. I think, on the other hand, though, so essentially what I'm saying is that. Our kids need to be passionate about something. So he went from tennis to cricket. That's fine. Cricket has many, uh, like baseball, has many great things about being part of a team sport, working with others. There were many things he learned there, and whether I was a tennis fan or not was is relevant, right? So, I think basically we don't need to worry about what our kids are passionate about. We just need to care they're passionate about something, mm. and and not I don't mean a video game or a mobile phone. I mean anything else beyond that. That's all that really matters. They're not sleepwalking through life. They're, they're curious. They really see the bigger picture. They're excited about something. They're alive. They're living life to the full. They have many opportunities that we didn't have in in many countries. So are they using that to the full of the you know, best of their potential? If we're sort of chapering them around, you know, they're grumpy between activity to activity. That's not a great childhood, I would argue. So yeah, so let's let's worry less about what they do and more about how they engage in whatever they want to do.
1: Okay. So I love that answer. And I think that's so reassuring this idea of like kind of giving it time and don't force it. Um, And it it reminds me of when my oldest daughter played piano and she's always very musically, very precocious. My husband makes electronic music and she would be able to, you know, when she was four, we could, play a note on the piano and she could tell us what note it was it was pretty amazing so she played piano we we had a teacher take her at like crazy like four and a half and the teacher wanted us to of course make her practice right but she's four and a half five years old and and after a year or so she didn't want to do it anymore because we were I was trying to make her practice and it wasn't it wasn't coming from her anymore it was coming from me so she quit piano we stopped piano And then when she was seven or so, you know, she, I, I said, do you want to try it again? You know, you, it'll be totally your thing. I promise I won't make you practice. And she went back to it and loved it for many, many, many years. And now she's sort of left it off again, but it it, is kind of this idea I'm kind of hearing of letting it, letting it be their thing, letting us, having us sort of back off from, from that manipulation or that, that too much directing, I suppose.
0: Yeah, no, it's a great example, Hunter. And I think that idea that, you know, back to autonomy, if they can feel that they're making the choices, they're directing their own life, they're going to be so much more impactful in, in, in the long term, right, as individuals. So that's really important. If they're feeling it's forced on them or they're doing a lot of obligation, that's not how we want them to think about life and what they do. They're gonna be in that passive mode for a long time, right? And the other thing I'd say what we're learning about mastery, um, linking to that, two, two very powerful things. Let me take my, my, my son's example. He, he stopped tennis from basically almost two and a half, three years maybe, playing with any level at all. But it was amazing when he went back to the court, he played better than he's ever played. Because the cricket had also developed him. You know, he had really good hand eye coordination. He was much more athletic. He was able to, you know, hit the ball Mm. hard, all these things. So, what we're learning about mastery is that it's very transferable. So,
1: Mm.
0: she might not have done, you know, played music for a while, but she might have done something else that will contribute to that music when she's ready. So, it's not like it's dead time, that as long as they're doing something else that they care about, it will transfer back to whatever they want to do long term. The second thing I think that's really, important on this mastery stuff is is this idea of learning to learn you know they're gonna you know music yeah it may or may not be important in a young person's life in the long term but it will be a source of real pleasure and and gratitude but what's more important is they learn to take a new area and learn to get better at it and learn to be curious because that's what they're going to need to do in terms of changing careers or fields or sectors or industries in the world of work and navigating very different kinds of friendships and relationships and in our personal lives as well. So as long as we build that learning to learn muscle, um, you know, that area of mastery, we know there's a chemical called myelin, which is very heavily linked to that. If we, if they learn to master that process of learning, it really doesn't matter what they learn again, as long as they, mm. they get on that 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 journey of mastery. So it's all again like really about thing. the how rather than the what.
1: Oh, I love that. The learning to learn muscle. Okay. So I have one final sort of question about this motivation with this and, and, and it's kind of a, a cheeky one, but just to kind of really grind in the, to, to really sort of solidify this point, how, what are the things that parents do? What how, how do we kill our kids' motivation? How do, how, what are the things that we do that, 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 that undermine it?
0: Yeah, I think probably three things if I list them, Hunter, one is we, we pretend life is a, is a straight line when it's really a zigzag. We pretend there's this perfect path, and getting into the perfect college or school or grades, whatever, will will we'll guarantee this path. We know, right? I have I went to some of the best you know colleges in the in the world. Many of my contemporaries struggle at some points in their career, it's just part of life. And so that that idea, first of all, of being honest about what life is really like and not shying away from that, but actually helping them understand that and also be comfortable, maybe even enjoy that uncertainty and learn, be confident they can navigate the uncertainty. That's the first thing we do. The second thing is we, we sort of create this incredible comparison culture where we, we almost give that impression that we don't love them for who they are. We love mm-hmm. them for what they, of how they compare. And that can be mm-hmm. devastating. And this idea that you know, back to safety and what we're learning about psychological safety, emotional safety, there are children, whatever they do, we should love them right that's really really important to 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 do and also to role model what they do alongside that is kind of a nice bonus but that 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 core sense of safety is really important and trying to move away from their self-worth being linked to others and how they compare to others Mm. that's really important so that that comparison culture is the second thing i think we often screw up in the third thing i think that we do um again is is linked to the two things but this obsession over the what rather than the how. So this idea that the choices you make, it's all about making the right choice about what you study at college or what you major in or what your first job is, that's nonsense. And that there is no straight path. What's much more important is how you are in the world, how you engage. Mm. Um, and are you really making a difference? Do you have a sense of autonomy? Are you getting better at something as well, The third area? So those are the three things I'd really say that we, we we make a lot of big mistakes in as parents. And not because we obviously want the best for our kids, but we are very confused about how we were raised. And the mm. world that has emerged is completely different from what our parents' mental models were. I think it's true if you're an immigrant, but I think it's true of all parents. We've got to almost update, upgrade our mental models of parenting to, to relate to the world we're in now. And if we're not, we're going to be creating... Or nurturing kids who are not ready for the world as it is.
1: Mm. Shara, thank you so much. It is so valuable to talk to you, and I, I love your your point of view, and 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 um, and I think this is so such a valuable perspective that's really grounded in reality and and um, and and obviously research and and so much. It's um, incredibly valuable. So. I would love to know, where can people find your book and more about you if they're interested in taking this further?
0: Thanks, I really enjoyed the conversation as well. And if um, I write a lot about these topics, uh, you can find a lot in Intrinsic. Um, uh, so Intrinsic on Amazon or wherever you get your books, um, pick it up there. Um, I write a lot also on LinkedIn. For those of you who use it, please follow me on, on LinkedIn. If you look my name, Sharath, S-H-A-R-A-T-H, and Jeevan, J W E V A N. Uh, and um, also on Twitter as well, if you want to look as well. But yeah, I'd love to continue the conversation. It's so important. And I'd love to hear from listeners, um, Hunter, about you know where are they finding challenges and see if we can work on this together. I think we need a new way of parenting and a, a new way to develop young leaders uh, in the world to solve our, our deepest challenges.
1: I think you're describing, you have described a minds, a powerful mindset shift, and I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your insights, sharing your wisdom, sh- doing the work that you do. I'm so grateful that you have the purpose that you have, because I know that this, is going to have incredible ripple effects around the world, and, and thank you so, so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast.
0: Thanks, it's a real pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for listening. It's really powerful, isn't it? To really get the real deal about motivation. I find it so, so fascinating. I hope you did too. And if you did, please make sure you go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, or, and maybe share this episode on your Instagram stories. Tag me in it at Mindful Mama Mentor and let me know your takeaways. It really means so much to me when I get these hits from you. It's like, just makes it all so worthwhile. And man, I hope you are hanging in there having a great week. I hope that you're offering yourself and your loved ones some compassion. I hope you're getting some rest and not pushing too hard. I hope that you are saying both yes and no to life with wisdom, right? That's what I need to do too. So I'll be practicing with you. I'm so grateful to have shared this time with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you again next week. Namaste.
4: No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.